everybody, and welcome to this podcast on lead monitoring in drinking water. In the last few years, lead in drinking water has received more and more attention, especially because of a number of incidents with elevated lead levels as a result of pipe corrosion, mainly in the United States. The water crisis in Flint, Michigan, which started in 2014, is the most well-known example of this, although by far not the only one. And elevated lead levels in drinking water as a result of deteriorating pipe materials is not a typically American issue either. Recently, in December 2019, it appeared on the news that residents of certain parts of Amsterdam, the capital city of the Netherlands, experienced similar problems and have been exposed to lead levels exceeding the regulatory limit values by a factor of 1.5 to 8. Elevated lead levels can cause serious health risks, especially for children. Therefore, the US EPA, as well as the European Commission, are imposing new legislation to clamp down on the issue. The US EPA has introduced a draft new lead in copper rule, and in the new EU drinking water directive, the threshold value for lead in drinking water will be reduced from 10 to 5 micrograms per liter. But that does not change the fact that currently, lead pipes are still used in a large number of drinking water distribution networks and home systems around the globe and it will take time to replace these pipes in order to get rid of the problem altogether. Therefore, effective lead monitoring is essential to minimize the risks for consumers of exposure to elevated lead levels. And here to discuss this issue is Rick Bacon, CEO of Aquametrology Systems. Aquametrology Systems develops and commercializes online real-time analytical and remediation solutions to predict, control and treat regulated contaminants in drinking water, processed water and wastewater. Thank you, Rick, for joining us today. So to dive straight in, how long have you been working on this issue? Uh, thanks, Karina. Thanks very much. Uh, we've been working on um, metal monitoring for probably 10 years and part of that has been uh, led it's um, obviously, as you've pointed out, a, um, a serious contaminant concern, uh, and the recent publicity has raised the profile of that. So, yeah, we've got a lot of experience with uh, with lead monitoring and the and the challenges that uh, represents for many utilities. Excellent. And um, well, then to start at the beginning, how exactly does lead get into the drinking water? Well, that's a, that's a good question. The um, the obvious one that people look to is the uh, where lead dissolves from lead service lines. These are the the pipes that sort of get to the get to the house uh, from the main distribution system, um, and that uh, lead corrosion um, happens because the uh, uh, the water in the pipes interacts um, with uh, the lead uh, the lead material, and essentially causes it to to dissolve. Um, but there are other sources of lead. So you've obviously got lead plumbing in the house. Um, so a lot of these programs to remove um, lead service lines uh, are not addressing the problem of lead in lead in homes or lead in school um, uh, drinking water systems, which include as well uh, the actual um, the taps and the faucets and the drinking fountains, all of which may uh, contain lead, including lead that. Um, is to be found in many brass fittings that were installed up until the sort of late 80s in many countries, including the USA. So 
the lead essentially dissolves by reacting with the the, wa the water in the pipes that are going through it. Okay, and and who exactly is ultimately responsible then for the uh, lead in the materials in residential homes? Um, let's say not part of the distribution network of a water utility. Well, that's a, a, that's a that's a very big debate because essentially it should be the the homeowner or the school owner, or the school district, or or whatever. But their facilities uh, would be fine if the water chemistry uh, was was adequate. So there's this big divided responsibility. I mean, in the U.S., in the proposed new lead and copper rules, they're pushing a lot of that responsibility back to the utilities, where of course and Traditionally, the water utilities' responsibilities have ended at the, um, the handover point, the water main, uh, when the water gets sort of handed over to the consumer. So, exactly. So the, it's, a, it's a really grey area. And I think the, the, the thing it's worth thinking about is that you know, lead has been around in our water systems. You mentioned Amsterdam, but it's in the UK, it's in lots of countries. And lead is, is not a problem. Um, it's, a, it's what I call a latent risk. So, so long as water conditions are um, uh, correct and the water hasn't been sitting there for a long time, um, so stagnating, uh, lead is not a problem. Um, it, it becomes a problem when the water chemistry changes and, and that starts to provoke uh, the corrosion of lead. So there's a, it's really around water chemistry. And that's the, the big challenge here because water chemistry can change. Uh, it's a complex chemistry, and that is what provokes then the lead to suddenly start corroding. And many people don't know, including the utility, that the water chemistry has changed in a way that causes corrosion suddenly to take place. Okay. And, um, and why is this particulate lead so important? So um, lead, lead um, in, when, it, when you get corrosion, um, comes in two forms. You've got the lead that's sort of dissolved in the water, and then you've got small grains of, of lead. I mean, you can see them, um, but they're sort of they're like the, the head of a pin um, or, or bigger. And when lead starts corroding, um, particularly if it's been um, in an okay state up until that point, it can break off in flakes, uh, in small amounts, and that will go through the water system. It may even get caught by a filter, but the problem is it's there, and now it's not. Um, now it's corroding slowly, so it can be corroding in your filter. Uh, it can be laid down somewhere in the pipe and still corroding. Uh, when it comes to measuring it, though, it's very important to recognise you've got to be able to measure both, uh, because um, in many cases the particulate lead, the undissolved lead. Is more of a, has more of a presence than the actual dissolved lead. Okay, and um, when when measuring lead uh, in drinking water, uh, what methods are available for rapid measurements other than the traditional laboratory methods that we have available? So I, I think that there's sort of three families of technologies. Putting on one side, if you like, the sort of um, expensive equipment of a lab and the time it takes there. You've got online um, monitors which essentially are constantly monitoring the water going through the pipes um, and doing that in real time. So online monitoring, which is where, as I mentioned, we sort of started life. Um, you've also got at the other extreme, 
what we call um, field monitors. So these are handheld type of things where someone can go into the field, take a sample, um, and read it. Um, and then you have a somewhere between both, which is a fast uh, benchtop uh, type analyzer where a sample is taken in the field and brought back uh, to a rapid um, uh, lead monitor. The, the real difference between each of those is that the, the, the problem with the field handheld type of monitor is that it cannot measure particulate lead, which as I said is, is a very important to understand its presence. And the reason for that is in order to measure it, uh, particulate lead, you actually have to dissolve it. You have to dissolve it with acids to reduce it to dissolved lead. And clearly in the field, uh, you can't be having people handling chemicals and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, that's what the other two types of technology do, and they do it automatically um, in, their, in their own different ways. So measuring particulate lead, anything that doesn't measure particulate lead um, is problematic. Uh, the other, without getting too scientific about it, is that you um, want to be sure that the measurement you take, if you were to take the measurement again and again and again, you would get the same result. And the problem with field-based instruments is that's unlikely to happen. You get differences in the way operators use this stuff. Uh, the actual technology itself is not particularly accurate, um, and it needs to be accurate, particularly when you're talking about five parts per billion or 10 parts per billion. You can't have um, something that can only measure to 15 parts per billion uh, because that's not going to be very helpful. Uh, and that's, so that's another problem of the field-based instrument. So it needs to be a lot more sophisticated than field-based, and that's where the online or at line uh, rapid uh, type of bench uh, top technology has a role to play. Okay, yeah, and you already mentioned something uh, about the, the measurement range, but what exactly are the in important features for um, rapid monitoring me methods for lead? What as a, as a user should you look out for when, right. when selecting and installing such equipment? Right, so um, there's, uh, the, the first thing is what's called the limited detection. So how, how low can this particular technology measure? Um, and it's limited detection or sensitivity. Um, and really you should be down at one PPB because if the regulatory limit, you mentioned the European and um, uh, proposed limits, you know, 5 ppb, you've got to be well below that uh, because you know, every instrument's going to have a range of accuracy of plus or minus 10%, plus or minus 1 ppb, that type of thing. So being down at 1 ppb will give you assurance that you're going to capture um, whatever's there. The other one, as I mentioned, is repeatability. So you need to be able to get the same result, uh, plus or minus uh, 10%. On a consistent basis it's no good measuring 5 ppb one moment and with the same sample measuring 15 ppb the next mm -hmm. that clearly can't give you confidence in uh, in the results um, so those are probably um, and then you know, the the particulate piece so is the particulate lead being undissolved lead being being captured uh, because if you're not capturing that then um, then it's problematic um, and, and, and we'll probably come in this conversation to another problem with lead, and I'll mention it now and then when we pick it up. Um, and I, I liken detecting lead to a bit like going, someone goes fishing. Um, you know, they're looking for fish, but in this case, we're looking for lead. And yes. many times, um, yeah, 
nothing will be found. No lead will be detected. But it's a bit like the fisherman. It goes out fishing and there are no fish. It doesn't catch a fish all morning. Um, does that mean there are no fish in the lake? And are there no fish in the next lake? Uh, and that's a bit the problem with lead monitoring. Just because you haven't caught it today doesn't mean that the particular or the dissolved lead won't be there tomorrow. And so this is a major handicap of all test methods for lead because it's so, um, you know, so you have this latent problem that suddenly becomes a, an acute problem. So I do go fishing for lead just at the moment that the lead has suddenly spiked. And that's why we so often come up against this problem you found in um, Flint and uh, New Jersey and Amsterdam. Okay, yes. Yeah. And um, this, the systems that, that you've mentioned, if you, um, if you implement such a, an, an, an online system, can mm -hmm. such a system function fully unattended or does it still require um, uh, regular visits by staff members? Right. So particularly the online um, uh, instrumentation. Um, yeah, I, I say many times the fantastic thing about online instrumentation is it can be remote. Um, you know, people should, you know, shouldn't have to attend it. The worst thing about online instrumentation is it, it is remote. Um, and therefore, someone has to visit it. And why would might they have to visit it? Well, pro predominantly for two reasons. One is that, um, uh, as I implied earlier, you know, these sensors are not permanently accurate all of the time in general. They, uh, uh, they drift. Every sensor does. And so even with laboratory equipment, they need to be calibrated and validated. And one of the things that we've always given a great deal of attention to is ensuring that this technology uh, that we have self-calibrates and validates. So you don't need to have someone going out there and recalibrating instrument every five minutes because it's remote. Um, and the other thing is everything breaks down. Um, and knowing that it's broken down or knowing that its performance is deteriorating, uh, being able to monitor that, in other words, monitor the monitor, ensures that you can intervene rapidly uh, before there's a problem and uh, the machine therefore you're guaranteeing much higher uptime um, and much uh, sort of the mean time to repair um, is very short and mean time to failure is very long. So there are ways of making online instrumentation very reliable uh, however it depends on sort of selecting the right technology that deals with those uh, challenges I just mentioned. Okay. Yes, and and does it make sense to place such an an online lead monitoring device at, for example, a school, or a hospital, or a residential building? So this is uh, we have a um, a sort of somewhat uh, different view of the world than I think the world's coming around to our view. But I'll explain the problem. So if you've got um, you know, you're a school or a home, the, the the problem is that when lead is detected it's already too late. Something's happened in the water system way back before uh, the consumer that's provoked this um, contamination problem. And so uh, we've approached this in a, a somewhat different way, recognizing as well the problem of the, the fisherman's problem. Uh, you know, are you gonna be sampling you know, every moment of every day for every home, every school, uh, waiting for the fish to arrive? Uh, it's impossible. The cost, the infrastructure that would be required for it would just be prohibitive. So the way that we've 
approach this is to say, put an online analyzer back in the distribution system, so well before the school or the, uh, the home or um, apartment block, and be monitoring uh, the quality of the water um, going through that instrument and exposing that water or exposing lead uh, fittings, brass fittings, whatever the um, potential source of contamination uh, to that water. And if that water has been treated properly, um, then if there's, uh, we will not be able to detect on the online analyzer uh, levels of the the, uh, lead uh, that could be uh, problematic. However, if the water chemistry changes, and water chemistry is very complex, uh, it could be pH, it could be the level of uh, anti-corrosion chemicals the city is using, uh, temperature, presence of chloride, a whole range of different chemistries, not all of which is particularly well understood. Um, if that causes lead um, samples that are being on the, the actual analyzer itself to start corroding, we'll detect that immediately. And I mean immediately within five minutes. And that then enables us to warn the city utility to say something's happened in your water chemistry. You may not even know what it is. Uh, these people downstream of this instrument are going to have elevated or risk having elevated levels of lead in their water in the next couple of days. And that permits yes. then the consumers to either change all their filters or start using bottled water or flush the taps more frequently for longer and the utilities do something about the water chemistry before the lead is actually found in the building, by which time people have already been consuming it probably, and then the lead poisoning problems you referred to earlier um, are now um, there. Yeah, so basically, instead of using the system to just detect the lead, you're using the system in a strategy to predict when the risks of elevated lead levels may increase and then to yeah. allow utilities to take action mm -hmm. before that actually happens. Exactly. exactly. And that's been the problem. So you know, the, real, the real sad thing about most of these uh, lead situations that you, I mean, there are several in the States at the moment, is it's usually found nine times out of 10 when kids are being tested for lead in their blood. And that's an obligatory thing, certainly in the States. And yes. so the kid, and then they say, oh goodness, we've got high levels of lead in the kid's blood. Where is it coming from? And now we need to go into the schools and the daycare centers and the homes and find out where this lead is coming from. So the, we're essentially using kids as biosensors, uh, which, you know, it's, it's a bit problematic, really. Um, mm -hmm. And this, uh, well, very problematic, uh, to be honest. And this, uh, our approach would actually warn people. Uh, that something's happened and then give them time and space in order to, you know, I'd say move to drinking water or do something whilst this um, risk is dealt with. It's a very proactive way of approaching things. Yes. And, and, and what does it take in order to implement such a proactive approach that you've just described? Um, is that fairly easy to implement or what does it require? So we've got a, a, um, um, an instrument that can be deployed um, in within 24 hours. Um, and uh, so long as we've got a, a, you know, a facility uh, building uh, where it can be installed, uh, we can be up and running and effective within, within a couple of days. Um, and immediately, um, uh, you know, 
say, providing that risk service. The other thing this also does is that um, uh, it can be used for is before cities change their water supply chemistry, uh, the way they're dealing with it, we c they can actually run a, a, um, samples of that different type of chemistry through the analyzer and see what it actually does to the rates of lead corrosion. Because many times what happens is the source of water, like flint, changes. Uh, they change the, corrosion, the, the level of corrosion chemistry or anti-corrosion chemistry they're using. And then everyone sort of throws up their hands in horror when we suddenly find lead. Well, that's not, you don't need to use the population as a sort of um, test kit. Uh, you know, this can all be done offline um, with the real water that they're proposing to use. And if that, you know, doesn't provoke lead corrosion, then by all means make the change. But don't make the change and then sort of come back and say, oh my goodness, look what we did. Uh, we now have a problem. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is that um, um, either the water utility or the local authority, whoever is responsible for, for making such changes mm. to, to, let's say, the sources and thus implicitly to the water chemistry, they should take on a more proactive approach and find out things on beforehand before actually just right. going through with those changes. Yeah, yeah. And this is where the, you know, this online monitoring technology is taking us. It's going from being reactive to proactive um, and therefore finally at the end of the day delivering to people you know safer uh, safer drinking water in which everyone can have confidence that um, you know they're not going to suddenly wake up the next day and find that they've got a, a water notice telling them that their water isn't safe to drink exactly exactly so um, if I if I worked at that water utility or at the local authority and wanted to get started on this what is the first thing that I should do <laughs> well, you should probably contact us. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in terms of preparing for this, uh, um, I'm going to have to think about the answer to that question. So, if you're a water utility, I think the first thing to do is to explore the technologies that are out there. And and what's clear is that um, existing approaches have not been adequate. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having all of these incidents uh, yes. occurring. Um, and it's really rather, I say, rather than waiting to discover that there's lead in people's taps or in kids' blood, um, take a much more proactive approach to this. The technology is not complicated. Uh, the causes of lead corrosion are complicated, um, but don't run away from that challenge. Uh, face it and face it up front. Sounds very good to me. Sounds very clear as well. And thank you, Rick. And this also brings us to the end of our podcast on lead monitoring in drinking water. We have heard about how lead gets into our drinking water and the importance of being able to detect particulate lead. And also we've discussed ways to monitor lead in drinking water using unattended real-time monitoring systems. Additionally, we have explored effective monitoring strategies at community level, combined with the uh, possible ways, proactive ways to resolve this issue. Rick, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and insights on this matter. Also, a thank you to our audience for listening. And if you have any questions or comments for Rick Bacon to what has just been discussed, please feel free to submit these questions to support at sentilo.app. 
The recording of this podcast will be made available in Sensilo's toolbox via www.sensilo.app. And if you would like to hear more on the subject, you can also sign up to our webinar on metals monitoring in drinking water distribution systems. The live broadcast of this webinar will be on the 15th of January 2020, and the recording will also be made available via Sensilo's website. This is a Sensilo podcast production. My name is Corina Carpentier. This podcast contains an interview with Rick Bacon, CEO of Aquametrology Systems, on the subject of online lead monitoring in drinking water distribution systems. This podcast was recorded on December 18th, 2019.